One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I always remember Sir Alex saying, I think, maybe towards the end when I was there, that being around young people kept him young. Yes. Is there an element of that with oh, yourself? Yeah, there must absolutely. Be. They do give you some energy. Yeah. You know, I think I think just being in the job energizes yeah. you. There's no doubt I've felt energized these last two months or so, more so than perhaps I was when yeah. my life was more mundane in terms of going down the gym, going for walks, finding a nice restaurant for lunch or dinner. And that was good too. I don't know what to complain about like that. My life. Just, to, just in case Sheila's watching this, I'll better make that clear. I was happy, I was happy with that Sheila as well. Sheila, he's really but. sorry that you did enjoy that time as well. Having sympathy and empathy with your players is, is vitally important. Once you start getting angry with them or disliking them, that's when your chance of really coaching them starts to diminish. It's like a runaway train. You can see it going wrong yeah. and you can't really help. Was there any point that you thought, what am I doing? Could I have put more pressure on, maybe? But I don't know that that makes any difference. How are you in that moment where you're feeling like you might need to make a change? What was that first message that you gave the players on that first day in training? Yeah, that's a good question. When they first came to the Premier League, they probably didn't realise the jeopardy involved. I didn't know what I was doing. It was rock bottom, really, so the only way was up. Do you buy into the theory that you've got to be a little bit mad to be a manager? <laughs> Well, an exciting edition of the Overlap today where we're at Crystal Palace's training ground and academy to sit down with Steve Parrish and my old boss, Roy Hodgson, who obviously I worked with for four years with England, done a brilliant job in this last seven weeks and Crystal Palace are having a great end to the season, so it should be pretty positive round here. It's almost like between a five-star hotel meets great restaurant. <laughs> Meets training facility. Yeah, good, to see, you. good to see you. Really good to see you. Good to see you. Really good. It's absolutely outstanding. This. Good. I'm glad you like it. This, I think, is what football clubs are about, or being at a football club is about, is trying to create progress. It's what yeah. the fans want to see. Um, and obviously, we've got such a great history of developing players. Yeah. But that was out of four portal cabins and waterlogged pitches. Do you ever walk around? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Come, come through. We'll start in here. This is the whole site, just to give you an idea. The first team are here. Okay. So that's really good for the, for the kids being able to go across. Yeah. We quite like that concept, you know, like you're going somewhere, yeah. taking a step up. But obviously they're called on for training um, a lot. This is all finished. This is the bit that you're, you're going to walk around. When I was with Roy, obviously we'll go and see Roy shortly, with England. And we were concerned about, at the time, about production of players from the Premier League. But there's no doubt been a massive increase in quality of English players produced by Premier League academies, hasn't there, in the last few years, and obviously EFL academies as well. Yes, and when Gareth, obviously England management, was in the vanguard of creating yeah. these, you know, because he was at the FA with a guy called Jed Roddy, and yeah. I mean, I would admit to thinking, oh, you know, we've got to invest all this huge amount of money in order to yeah. just, just be in the game. It's a big expectation on owners, isn't it? It is, but you know, things like this, you know, are so important because I think what we found with a lot of young English players was being on the football pitches where they're most at home, yeah. but developing their other skills yeah. sometimes maybe came later for England players, you know. Yeah. But I think these kind of developing social skills, we make sure the coaches sit and eat with the players. Yeah. You know, we make sure it's a really nice environment, they're used to having nice things, they've got positive people around them that want them to succeed. So I think they, they, these things have been great. 
how do you look at it as a as a business case as an owner in terms of obviously recovering the money in, that you've invested in this? Is it about obviously producing players that means that you don't have to go into the transfer market and obviously players that you could potentially sell on? Do you look at it in that way? It's about five million a year to run the facility. facility. Yeah. So you know, wow. it's 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 a huge amount of cost because that's quite, not including staff. Yeah, that includes your staff. staff. Okay. Yeah, it includes your staff, and of course, you've got to try and find a way of paying for it, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, it doesn't. It's not hard. You only need one first-team player. Yeah. I mean, one Aaron Bissaka, yeah. um, one Tyrick Mitchell. He did well there, getting fifty million for Aaron, didn't you? He's, he's doing well at the moment, actually. So he was a winger. Yeah. And uh, going back to that, people needed somebody. They needed a right back, and Kevin Keane used to take the younger players and the ones that were on the fringe of the squad on a yeah. Sunday for coaching. Right. He said, Aaron's brilliant, you know, at defending. Like, he's brilliant. You know, he plays wide right, yeah. but he's a brilliant defender. You should try him. And he never came back. Roy got him, and they, and they just, it was unbelievable, obviously, and for us, yeah. where we're more of a defensive-minded team against the top teams, particularly then. And obviously, he got the attention of a lot of clubs, yeah. you know, and, and Manchester United came in. And he's also, you could argue, paid for this facility, hasn't he? And more probably. Yeah, if you could look at it. If like you look that, at it in that yeah, way, like that, and, and Wilfred as well, because we've stayed in the Premier League all those years, and we're in such a rich catchment area. Yeah. I think there was, I don't know what it is at the moment, but there was some stat that that something like 14% of all the English qualifying players came from within about a five-mile radius of here that were playing yeah. in the Premier League. Yeah. Wow. I always think Premier League owners and chairmen must be just focusing 99.9% .9 of the time on thinking, how do I stay in the Premier League? But it's obvious with you, you're a fan of the club, that you understand the detail of the rest of the football operation and what everything that's going on as well. So obviously you're working on that, but this is part of that, right? Yeah. And, and this is maybe provides a shortcut to that and a way of doing it. So um, understanding every aspect of what we're doing, being involved in the building projects, trying to do it all as cheaply as possible. <laughs> I mean, this cost us 30 million so far. And 11 million went into the pitches because we got a problem with the river and so... 11 million for the football pitches? 11 million for the football pitches, yeah. People have no idea how that much... That doesn't sound right. Yeah, just to... Just that, that must have hurt a little bit when you got the bill through for that. Well, we knew, we, we knew when we looked into it. I mean, we, we've got particular issues. If you want flat pitches... <laughs> You've got to spend 11 million. Well, quid. also you've got. It's just if you've got a river, you've got to take as much, as much as you build up. You've drainage, got to take out. Yeah, it's all about not pushing the water down to somewhere else. Right. Okay. So if you build like a big dam and you build all your pitches up, and then yeah. Auntie Ethel gets you know the water in her back garden. <laughs> so just taking the, the the soil out of that area to flatten that pitch was a million. Just taking the soil off site, and then the rest of it, you know, we did all of these buildings were existing buildings. And then we, we, re, we got a brilliant architects involved and we refurbished them all. Just these are actually existing these buildings? These are existing buildings. So this they is just the old, re, re -clad this is the old Yeah, it's the old cricket pavilion. Wow. Um, you wouldn't have thought of that. No. That's brand new. Are they listed or protected or something? No, yet? it was simply this. I could get straight into Cat One by refurbishing these buildings. Right. Or I could wait three years, oh. knock them all down, get planning, build ah, new buildings. Okay. Right. So, A, it was, and then that would probably have cost 60, 70 million. Right. right. As I walked into the car, I came to the car park, I thought it was like the old cottage at... Yes. 
at Fulham and I thought, why is this old house remaining in the car park? And I wondered whether it was protected or whether it's something... No, we just left it there. We just, I mean, it may go at some point. Um, <laughs> but we, we, you know, we just thought it was... It, we needed these buildings. We didn't really need any extra space. We've got 80,000 square feet we're building at the back. Right. So um, the media team are in there. You know, we can keep them out of the way. I thought it was for Roy to have an afternoon kit, but if he was <laughs> doing afternoon sessions... <laughs> So you, you picked this club up out of administration, January 2010. June. June, June 2010. 2010. It went into administration, I think, in January, January. Yes. 2010 for three and a half million pounds, was it, at the time? Yeah, so we paid, um, in, in, in all it cost about 16 million because we had no players. Right. Um, if the stadium was separated in a separate administration. Yeah. So I managed to get that out of a separate administration. So we paid three and a half million for the ground. And then between us, we put about 16 million in for players, running costs. Was it a mess when you found the club when you first came here? Or was it okay? Um, well, it was run down facilities-wise because yeah. the, the club hadn't owned the stadium, so there'd been no investment in, in, in the stadium. Uh, the training ground had been sold, so I had to go and try and buy the training ground back. And there were very few players, you know, because a lot of them had gone, they were off yeah. contract during administration or they'd been sold. Sometimes it's almost better starting like that though, right? You know, you didn't have... Almost from scratch. Almost from scratch, right? Yeah. And, and of course, loads of optimism. Yeah. The fans loved the stadium, was reunited, and yeah. started doing little bits to the stadium and started making little improvements. So it was, it was rock bottom, really. So the only way was up, you know, so it was quite a, a, a positive. And I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I had an advertising business with 3,000 people in it that I was yeah. trying to run at the same time. And then gradually you kind of start applying some of the things that you would do normally. You start working it out. Uh, we had a real struggle the first year, you know, we nearly got relegated. And then we were lucky enough to go on a run and get promoted the, the next year. Yeah. <laughs> Just got a little bit lucky in the first year, almost. So when I bought the club out of administration, I honestly thought I'd have it for a, a year or a few months. They couldn't find a buyer. And I had this other business and I said, look, I, I really don't have time. And then I thought oh, there were people that had written in and that the CEO at the time said, look, there are other people that are interested. So I said, well, look, if they're serious, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe three or four of us will do it. You know, it might yeah. be a, a, an interesting thing to do. So I met these three other guys, uh, Jeremy, Martin and Stephen, uh, through the course of a couple of weeks. I remember Stephen particularly, I said to him, look, you know, it's 20, let's just do it 25% each. I've spent a lot of time looking at it, but I don't want anything extra. I'll, I'll get 25%, you will have 25%. We'll get it back on its feet. Yeah. We'll find somebody um, to buy it. I remember him sitting in his wine business and he said, how much do you need? I said, well, I probably need about three and a half, four million quid. He went, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and, then, and then I remember signing for the club with no paperwork between any of us. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I signed up for the whatever it was. Did you understand the debt positions at the time, though, and all that sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had a good idea of, yeah. of, of what it would need. And Liabilities were. Yeah, and I'd learnt from afar that none of these things made money, you know, that you couldn't <laughs> run them at break-even. Um, I did probably then realised exactly how much harder it, it, it was when I got in. And then in the end, I had a sort of sense of responsibility to these three guys, yeah. to the club. And I got a bit of a bug for it. And then it all sort of snowballed from there. Did really. you take them out then, some of them? Were they, were they... Yeah, so I got some American investment in. So yeah. when we got to the Premier League, I said, look, if we want to go for it and stay in the league, yeah. I've got to take some quite chunky risks. Yeah. And I don't really want to be coming yeah. to you. We're great mates by this time, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and saying I need yeah. 15 million each, 20 million each yeah. to, you know, to get through the summer. So 
I found Josh and David, um, who've been absolutely brilliant. And where they've been fantastic is in their support of me. They like yeah. this sort of local partnership that yeah. they've got. They understand that I understand the fans yeah. pretty much. You know, we can what do they get out of it? I know what you get out of it. You're a fan, you love the club, you've supported them all your life, but what do they get out of it if it's not making them any money and they're American? Listen, we've, we've built a good relationship and they enjoy it. They like the club, so right? They, they just enjoy so, it, So they, it? they just enjoy it. They love sport. You know, they own the 76ers are in the playoffs at the moment. It's like a social investment, really, for them in some ways, or...? Uh... Well, I think, look, I think if I'm honest, probably, you know, you'd need to speak to them. When they first came to the Premier League, they probably didn't realise the jeopardy involved. American sport is very, very different. You know, first of all, as an owner, you're kind of deified. You know, you yeah. can you can go in the Hall of Fame if you're an owner in America, <laughs> right, of an NBA team. Generally, the price of the value of your asset rises, and yeah. you don't really lose money while, while no. you own it. Generally, yeah. so that's very, obviously very difficult from the Premier League, where it's very, very diffi difficult to improve. So why did they like the Premier League? Because it's completely opposite to that, isn't it? Really, I mean, it can be completely opposite to that because there is jeopardy. You can go down. You are expected to put money in. It is getting more expensive to run a football club. Look, I think if there's a mistake that people make when they come to the Premier League is that they think that they can make a difference very, very quickly. So there's this kind of perception... Are you referring to any particular club? Oh, I just think generally. I mean, if you look at the bottom nine in the Premier League, I've spent £900 million on transfers this year. We're at the bottom of the transfer spending this year. The Premier League has spent £2.5 on transfers. It's mesmerising. I mean, that's, I mean, just to give you an idea, the whole TV media money is £3.3 billion in, in a season, and we've spent £2.5 of it just on buying players. Look at Man United. What did Man United do when they were successful? Alex Ferguson said two or three players, was it, every yeah. year? That was the most, really, yeah. you can ingest, you can really understand whether they're good enough, really yeah. understand if they're good lads, yeah. really understand what they're going to give you. It brings stability as well. And not upset the apple cart yeah, yeah. of all the lads that are there. I don't want to touch on sackings too much, but the De Boer one, where I think he was only here 10 weeks, people might see that as a mistake, but actually, is actually acting straight away and obviously ending it. Being clinical is obviously good leadership as well. Is, was it just something that you thought, I've got to end this straight away, it's never going to work? Because that, that's, that's the one sort of, if you like, I think Neil Warnock wasn't here too long either, was he? Yeah. There's two that have been sort of, if you like, moved aside quite quickly. I had one at Salford after three or four months. Well, Neil came in to help me out, right? And, and, and we knew it would be pretty short term. Yeah. Neil's a great guy and a great manager. And, and, and that was fine. Look, the, the Frank one, again, we talk about mistakes. So, you, look, we talked to Frank about an evolution of the playing style. Obviously, people get impatient and he felt he could do it quicker, yeah. you know, with what we had. And, and, yeah. and that's understandable. What, what there was apparent was just that this league is different. I mean, let's not talk about better or worse. Crystal Palace is different as well, the way yeah. you play. Yeah, yes, especially if you're used to playing a certain way yeah. in a certain league with the best team yeah. and you're keeping the ball all the time. You know, I remember one conversation we had talking about, are we just going to keep the ball? And I was like, well, we're not going to go away at Liverpool or away at... Now, to be fair, you look at teams like Brighton yeah. and they're proving that that they're, is possible. So maybe that. if Frank had had long enough yeah. you know, and we'd had the right personnel, he could have got there. Yeah. So um, it wasn't the right fit for us at that time, that doesn't mean it, 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 it couldn't have worked, it didn't. We may be trying to run before we, we, we walked a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it didn't work out. So yeah, you, 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 you've got to be prepared to make the difficult decisions. It's easy yeah. just to let it drift, isn't it? You know. Are you feeling that you've come into the end of your ownership stint here at Crystal Palace? Or are you think, no, I'm in it for the long term? 
Well, it's been here since 1861. <laughs> so I'm definitely leaving yeah. at some point before it goes. Could I have put more pressure on, maybe? You know, could I have said... Or more that, pressure on Patrick? Yes. Unless somebody, Elon Musk, comes along and wants to buy the club. You know, we're not going to get into the top four right now, probably. We're the only team in 2023 in Europe that haven't won. These are pretty smart changing rooms for under 23s. Yeah, under 21s now, isn't it? Under they 21s, back is it? to 21s, yeah. So, um, it's better than the changing rooms that we had at United in the first team. That's yeah. going back so, 11 years. So this is almost a replica of our first team, yeah. changing room. So the idea, obviously, there's much more basic ones, and you go up to the under 18, which is quite a nice one. And then when you're in the 21s, you're a professional footballer. You're playing out on that show yeah. pitch. You're playing Man United are coming in, Man City are coming yeah. here. Big games, you know, you get a decent... Um, decent casual crowd so it's just important that they start to feel that experience yeah. and obviously we still play some at the stadium so the first yeah. time they play for the club yeah. isn't the first time they've walked yeah. into the stadium um, but you're just trying to get and it, it all is, it's all little goals little targets little yeah. achievable things I want to get from there into that dressing room into that level I want to be in that group um, and then all the while obviously trying to make sure you look out for the ones that aren't going to make it, you know, and, and, and you make sure you do your best with them, which is very important. The expectations on Premier League owners now is to do everything world-class, isn't it? At every level of detail of everything that you see. I mean, obviously, you go to Manchester City, which I've been a couple of times there, training around or Tottenham's, but you've built something here, which is the maybe not the same scale, they've got probably got bigger facilities, but the actual quality of the facilities is exactly the same. It's almost like an expectation that you have to spend a lot of money to compete now. Do you, do you feel like yourself that pressure? You, you talked about upstairs when I leave this place. Yes. Do you feel like it's getting harder every year to compete with those sort of bigger clubs and what you're having to do to compete with them and the money you're having to spend to compete with them? You're only going to get better and get closer to those clubs if you do do it, right? Yeah. I mean, when, when I, one of the main points that I'm here is when I was a kid, I went to Sellers Park and I went to Highbury and it wasn't that different an experience, really. Yeah. Ripple dissolve to when I'm looking at getting involved in the club and Sellers Park's worse than it was and they're in the Emirates, right? Yeah. So, you know, you've got to try and catch up. What's the point if you're not yeah. trying to catch up, you know? And we've got to try and find slightly smarter ways of doing things or different ways of doing things. Um, and I think in this, we've, we, you know, we've achieved that. If we can do that with the stadium, then we really are, you know, starting to get somewhere. I think in my business life, in my life, it's small achievable goals, right? If we can just get to the next level, which is we need to be a top 10 turnover club in the Premier League. Yeah. That's what we need to get to. Is and that the ambition? To, that's the ambition for me, because that's a realistic ambition. Yeah. Realistically, you know, we don't, unless somebody, Elon Musk comes along and wants to buy the club, you know, we're not going to get into the top four right yeah. now, probably. We could have a worldy season like yeah. Leicester, and I don't want to take anything away from it, it was a brilliant season. That could happen to us, and we would love it if it did. But if you want sustainable long-term success, then you've got to improve the infrastructure. And, and for me, at least you feel like you're moving forward. I mean, what's the point of just being here for 10 years just to cling on to status in a division? I mean, and, and the odd cup final. I mean, that's yeah. great. And it's a lot of joy for fans and it's not worthless. It doesn't leave anything for anybody, does it? It doesn't make the club any better in the long term. What is the ambition with Sellers Park? Current capacity? 
what's the new capacity going to look like? The first phase will take us to 35. Right. But what's really, the advantage we've got in London is obviously premium seating, yeah. right? So what you really want to do is keep the GA prices down as low as possible so yeah. you make it accessible and then, and then subsidise that eff effectively. You don't want to upset that fan base behind that gold, do you? <laughs> Trust me, I, I know them personally, I definitely don't. I mean, I look at them sometimes, it's actually old school back there. It's brilliant on a match day there, the atmosphere's fantastic, but they are passionate, aren't they? I think they've affected a lot of other clubs as well. Yeah. I think we can see little groups like that forming. I think some other clubs, even some maybe bigger clubs have gone, yeah. maybe if we stop moaning and actually start you know, trying to help the lads on the yeah. pitch. And you know as a player, I think sometimes fans think when we say... You know, we wouldn't have been able to do it with the fans' support and all that kind of stuff. That the fans don't think we really mean it. But yeah. you know as a player yeah. what a crowd can do. Do you enjoy being a Premier League owner? Or does it feel like a... <sighs> what you've got to try and manage as a footballer yeah. or as, as, as a chairman, owner, is the losing and the winning, right? Yeah. You, you just can't be driven by that. I try not to get too knocked off by bad results. I try not to get too euphoric by the good results. Yeah. I try and go to every game. How's that go? The results based, because I mean, it's horrible when you lose a game. It's... Well, I've arrived at when you lose, you need to go out. <laughs> when, you, when you win, you need to stay in, you know. Right. St stay in and relax. I thought you were going to say win or lose on the booze then for a no, second. No, that, because that was I the mean, old motto. I, I don't drink anymore, but when I used to drink, you definitely, if you've beaten Arsenal and you're hot, you definitely don't want to go out. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, it's a good, you, when you lose, you've just got to go out and try and think about something else. Yeah. I mean, most of managing that kind of stuff, what, what did we say, what were we all saying the other week when we won four games and we were fundamentally yeah. out of trouble? You have a week where you're not thinking about football for a bit, yeah. you know, where it's not constantly on your mind. So when, when things are bad, just trying to take your mind off it, really, yeah. and just try and do something else. I've got some other businesses, and every now and again, you know, I'll get involved in a bit of a project with that, just to remind myself that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> because football's so out of your control. You know, yeah. the way I put it to people is, you're in a profession where the ball goes to the left of the post and you're an idiot, yeah. you know, and people are writing articles about how stupid yeah. you are and you've signed all the wrong players and, and it goes to the right of the post and you're a genius, yeah. right? But it's just, it's a tiny bit of luck is a difference sometimes. Yeah. We all know how difficult it is for an owner to sack a manager, it's difficult. How are you in that moment where you're feeling like you might need to make a change? Does it affect the rest of your life? It must do, really. Yes, that's awful. I would say that's probably, that's much worse than the losing of the game. Yeah. Particularly because, you know, by and large, all the managers I've had have been brilliant blokes, yeah. you know? So you've got this personal relationship and you, sometimes as well, you know, it's like a runaway train. You can see it going wrong yeah. And you can't really help, you know, because what do you do? Start telling them this is who you should play, this is what you should do. And then what when do you do? Because, I mean, I've, I've been in that position myself at a lot lower level where you want to give them time to breathe, but you also want to make sure that you give them that sort of, not warning, but that information that makes them feel like, come on, things need to improve as well. So hard <laughs> to get it right. I mean, I think it's so hard to get right. At the end of it, you know... In the more recent one, you know, I'll be candid and say, could I, could I have put more pressure on, maybe? I, you know, could I have said... Or more pressure on Patrick? Yes. You know, in what I, way? Just said, look, you know, things need to improve, Patrick. You know, you need to sort it out or... But I don't know that that makes any difference. I don't know no. that really helps. Would that help? Yeah, you You're don't just know. just muddling their mind even yeah. more, right? You know, I think that you've got to give people space to work and yeah. do it in the way they want to do it. Obviously, we've got a sporting department. Yeah. And... Oh, you know, the sporting department, I think, are more involved in how we're playing and, yeah. and, 
And, and often managers want to ask you, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? That feeling that you have the morning, you know, have you called that meeting the day before? Is it part of your natural daily work? Or have you said, look, Patrick, I want to see you in an hour? Is there a bit of a, a little bit of a stomach churning, sort of a little bit of a sickly yeah, feeling? Of course. You'd know, you, be inhuman, wouldn't you, if you yeah. didn't have that? In the end, there's no good way of, of delivering that kind of no. news. I always think the thing to do when you have the conversation is deliver it early, right? There's no preamble that makes no, it no. better, is there? You know, in this case, maybe I could have done it differently. You do want to get to people quickly. Um, I always feel if you say to somebody, oh, can you come see my office? They know. They know. <laughs> so they've got two hours or an hour and you're dragging them to the office for a five minute conversation, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. really all that matters. Were you really worried about going down? I mean, there's been so many managerial changes in this last few months. You're one of them, but yours has been quite successful. Is it just purely because of that reason or is, it an, uh, is there any other reason? Yeah, you wouldn't change, you know, in the season. You know, I think we were hoping to get to the end of the season and then make some changes yeah. with, with Patrick. That, that was really what we were thinking. We'd had those discussions. You'd had a tough run of games. Did you think about giving him that next run of games, which on paper were a lot easier? Well, I mean, I, I think this is when it comes to watching every minute, right? It's not just about what the results are. It's about how you're, you're playing. And of course, in that run of games, we lost to Southampton in the Cup. We lost to Villa. We, lost to, we drew with Brentford in the last minute. So but there, there were plenty of signs, you know, about the way we were playing. We, three games, we didn't have a shot on target. We were the only team in 2023 in Europe that hadn't won. Who knows, in hindsight, we might have been okay. But of course, the other thing is, it's not just a question of not getting relegated. You don't want to be down there in the luck with a couple of games to go, because then luck just starts playing a, a yeah. massive part, right? So um, you want to be where we are, which is out of it. You know, the relegation fight's fascinating as long as you're not in it, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but we did have some decent results against some better teams, you know, yeah. we got some draws, um, but there was just something that wasn't quite right. Yeah. And then, of course, any other bad luck layered on that, and you really yeah. are sort of going to struggle. And I think to the point where everybody's losing a little bit of a belief in each other. Yeah. I don't want to, I want to get the same perspective. We had a great season with Patrick the first season, yeah. a fantastic season. We got to Cup yeah, final. We played some unbelievable football, yeah. and Patrick will be a fantastic manager, in my view. Yeah. You know, and he'll yeah. learn from, from this experience and the experience he's had. Let's face it, at the end of the day, nearly two years in a Premier League job, getting to a Cup semi-final, keeping yeah. Crystal Palace in the Premier League, being here when we did some fantastic recruitment, that's a pretty good, yeah. solid CV for a Premier League um, manager. I think that man management and getting the group will point in the right direction and feeling positive and feeling inspired every day and having a purpose is underrated, I yeah. think. I don't think people realise how important. I think we've got into a world now where particularly managers are studying tactics and data and, you know, yeah. they're all over all of that technical stuff. But the human side Just of forgetting it. the human side of it. Is that why you brought Roy back? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Is that, is that was that behind the decision that you just wanted someone that you knew could bond with the players and basically bring a cohesion straight away? Yes, because I think every manager that you bring in is a risk in that regard. And obviously, I knew what the lads all thought about Roy. You know, to have four years with a manager, to have that fantastic ending for the players to revere him. Yeah. I mean, I would say something that people would find probably interesting is that at 75 years old, because Roy understands footballers and he understands what they think and what they want, Roy is probably the best manager I've had at relating to the players of every age, whether it's a Michael Elise or a, or a James MacArthur. Roy knows exactly the right thing to say to him, when to say it, has little aside interest in their personal life, finds out lots yeah. about them in the background. And he's just excellent at making sure that everybody understands why he's making the decisions he's making yeah. and keeps everybody on side in, in, in that regard. He got criticism, I think, for going back to yourself, but you yeah. soon put that to bed, didn't you? They were very um, persuasive. Sometimes you would be deemed as being more defensive coach. Do you get sometimes annoyed by that description? Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Roy, well, I'm delighted to see you. You too, and, Gary. Uh, join us on the overlap and be here at Crystal Palace's training ground. So, seven weeks ago, you got a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. How did that come about? Well, it came as a surprise, really. I had no inkling that there was any change in the offing at Crystal Palace or anywhere else, for that matter. And I wasn't expecting a phone call, but I received it first from Doug Freeman that same evening I met with Steve Parrish and they, they told me what they intended to do and they explained to me that they would like myself and Ray to come back to the club where we'd served for four years and see out the season and I was happy to oblige. Was there any point in that conversation or in those early sort of hours after the call that you thought what am I doing? I'm relaxed here. <laughs> I've run my race. <laughs> You've run yeah. many races. Yeah I've run many races you're right. I suppose, one to be honest, there was, but on the other hand, there was also the excitement and the, you know, the, they were very um, persuasive, Doug and Steve, that they thought it was the right thing to do at this yeah. moment in time, and they, they made it very clear they were really going to support Ray and I, because they thought that we would be able to do what they expected us to do. And of course, knowing that I was going to see some of the players that I already knew yeah. were good players and could help us out. And I watched some of these younger ones that have been signed and thought these look exciting. So I knew I was going to come into a squad of players with good potential. Yeah. And I also knew, of course, I was going to get all the support I could possibly get from the, from the owner and the sporting director and the staff around. Uh, whom I also know well from my previous time here. There was a lot of surprise at the time, wasn't it? One that obviously Patrick had been sacked, but mm. also they got criticism, I think, for going back to yourself, and there was some scepticism, but you yeah. soon put that to bed, didn't you? Yeah, well, I what mean. What did you say to the scepticism first when you first. When, I mean, they, they were brave for making that decision, weren't they? They were very brave for making the decision. I think the problem is that it, as a coach, people are always very anxious to label you. And often the labels aren't strictly correct because the labels often are going to depend upon 
what players you find at the yeah. club. And the thing I've done in my career, I haven't, haven't built a career around recruiting and signing players and asking clubs to spend lots and lots of money yeah. getting a group of players together that I particularly want. I've gone into places where they've said, these are the players we've got and could you help us form a team from these yeah. players and maybe help make the players a bit better. And then sometimes, of course, you don't necessarily reach the heights in that situation. But I must say that the four years that Ray and I spent here keeping the team in the league, I still would like to put that at the right near the top of any achievements I've had in the game because it wasn't easy, we didn't have money to spend, uh, the team was ageing and yet still they produced performances which were good enough to keep us around the middle of the table and give us another year each time in the, in the Premiership which is not to be taken for granted. No. What was that first message that you gave the players on that first day in training? What was the thing yeah. that you said to them when you addressed them first? Because obviously at that yeah, point there was a danger of, of relegation wasn't there? Yeah, there was. It was low-key. It, it certainly wasn't any Churchillian-type speeches. There wasn't reference to, you know, we've got 10 cup finals, none of that. Right. It was really more, right, we, we, we know what we want from you and we're going to work very hard to try and make sure that you understand what we want and try and bring out what we think are the best of your qualities. And all we can expect from you, really, is for you to get behind that and to show us in every training session that you know, you're know you on board with what we as a football team are trying to do and that you believe, like we do, it will give some results and then we'll take it game by game and see where it, where it brings us. What was your first session with them? Was it an attacking session or was it a defensive session? Attacking session. We were sensible enough, I think, to say, listen, we don't want to come in here and the first sessions we do are organising defensively. Let's start with you know, the attacking play that, to be frank, both Ray and I prefer to do anyway. I find the, the defending side of the game and organising teams defensively an easier task yeah. than organising teams offensively because I think teams need organising offensively. You need structure there, you yeah. need moves, you need, you need to know uh, what the guy in front of you, just behind you and a bit further in front of you are doing and how they're going to liaise with you in your movements. They need to know yeah. that and that's on the training field. Yeah. Every bit as much as a defensive organisation is on the training field. Yeah. So, you know, in answer to your question, I think there was a definite bias towards yeah. a bit more of the attacking play. It takes me back to a conversation, you may not remember it, but when I, obviously when I was with England, I'd, I'd had the Valencia experience. And I remember always thinking that managers went into football clubs sometimes when they were struggling, because Valencia was struggling a little bit when I got there, and thought, right, let's sort the defence out. And I remember you saying to me, you should have really worked on the attacking principles first because that's harder to get over to the team. And you've just reiterated that to mm. me now. Into, it just, it's just actually come back to me, that feeling of putting your attacking principles into the players. And quickly you realise that actually this was a group of players that could definitely score goals. Because in your oh, first yeah. match, I mean, you had 30, 34 shots yeah. on target. It just it flipped straight away. I think it? I sort of knew that before I actually joined them because I'd seen games, albeit on the television, I realised there's a lot of attacking talent here. There's, there's players with exceptional technical skills, uh, good pace as well. Yeah. So, and Wilf Zaha, of course, who've been very good for us during the four years. I, I knew that with these guys, we had athleticism. We, yeah. we had pace, athleticism, we had technique. So there was no reason why, if we could get these players into the right positions, that they couldn't score goals. Yeah. There's no reason not to believe that. But we had to make certain that we made them focus yeah. very much on the moves and the type of play and the type of actions that were going to be necessary 
for them to get in those positions. Yeah. And then we made it clear to them, look, when it happens and you get there, we're 100% behind you. So don't feel that, you know, you can't take the shot or you can't make the dribble because you might just lose the ball. Yeah. We will be more angry with you if you don't take the yeah, shot so and don't lose the ball and, you know, play the simpler pass and start attacks again. It takes us a lot of effort and, and a lot of good play quite often through the back, through the midfield to get into that final third into good attacking situations. You've got to profit from them because yeah. if not, if not, you start all over again and there's no guarantee the next situation will be any better than the one you've just created. But sometimes you would be deemed as being more defensive coach yeah. and I've seen you work for four years and most of the work was attacking. Do you get sometimes annoyed by that description when you've achieved what you've achieved in the game and when you see what you're achieving now at Crystal Palace? Is annoyed yeah. the wrong word? No, no, not really. <laughs> what, a bit angry? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it's, it, it's, it's part and parcel of, of perception. And, and the perception's going to be through, through the mass media. It's going to be through your results as well. Yeah. So, in fact, a lot of it, I think, started with us when we, we had the game against Brighton where they outplayed us in terms of possession yeah. and we had to defend for our lives and came away winning the game, uh, which was, of course, a bit of a steal if you look at the yeah. game. I mean, they had more shots, they had more possession. But So I think sometimes people see that and then that's it, I yeah. think. And also, you know, with the team we had at the time, certainly towards the end of that. The first year when I came here, when we had, you know, some quite good attacking players, we had Loftus-Cheek, we, we had Kabai and yeah. people like that. I thought our attacking player that year was quite good. Yeah. Perhaps we didn't always replace them with quite the same level of attacking flair. Yeah. And that made us perhaps a little bit more ordinary as a team. But then my my mantra with a team has always been that I'm there to do to do the job that's required yeah. it was always made clear to me during my four years here that our, our principal goal is to stay in this league and that's not going to be easy because you know we can't say we're much much better than the other teams we're going to be in a group of teams yeah. all of which if it goes against us we'll find ourselves in or near the relegation zone, your job is to keep us away from there. In the four years, you know, we were here, we were never in the relegation zone after that first seven. I came after after four games when we were in the relegation zone. And then lost the next three, I think. And then lost the next three, so I managed to keep us there until at least seven <laughs> games. But then we started to climb. Yeah. And from that then, we were never in the relegation zone after that. When you talk about a relegation battle, and this, this season's relegation battle seems one of the most ferocious that we've seen for a yeah. long time. What have you done? What, I mean, the, the turnaround has been absolutely mesmerising. Well, I think if you're going to bring any calmness and belief and, and, and to try and, if you like, um, promote some sort of faith uh, in the group itself that, you know, we're good enough and we can do that, you've got to have the faith yourself. I was pretty convinced that we were going yeah. to give the right messages, yeah. we were going to do the right training sessions, we were going to give the right support, and as a result, we had to show a bit of character ourselves. Yeah. So if things had not gone well right from the start, we'd have had to show some character. Yeah. We'd have had to deal with the disappointment. We, because if we'd have started then to crumble and to all of the fancy messages you give in the two weeks before the first game, when you lose the first game, they all crumble, yeah. then there's no doubt that would be a disaster for your future. What do you think of the players that you've got here? I'm going to talk about the younger players, Gagey, the centre-back, Elise, Eze. Obviously, you know, Wilfred's not young anymore, but the talented players. Do you feel like if Crystal Palace can hold these together, that's a top, te top half of the table team yes. next season? 100%, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, 
there's obviously one or two positions that the club are still concerned about and yeah. would maybe like to improve. Um, the club would obviously do like to hold on to Will Sahar, but we can't give any guarantee that will happen, which would create another vacuum were it unfortunate why, to happen. Why would he leave when he's got such stability yeah. here? No, I don't know. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I'm in a situation here in this short period of time where I really just want to concentrate on the doing? games ahead and the people I've got. I don't want to start delving too much into what I think you should do, Will, from what I think you shouldn't do, Will. Yeah. He, he knows that I'm here if he wants any advice yeah. from me, but it'll be from him coming to me, not me pushing yeah. advice on him. Um, but I think that you don't you wouldn't need an awful lot here i don't think in terms of players to come in and and you know even this year i think you know we should probably with this team have finished somewhere between 12 and 8 yeah. um, the big question is if you really feel feel like some teams do we've got to break into that six yeah. and there you are talking about the really big spending clubs who can go out and scour Europe. Recruit will cost some money, but I don't think it should be recruitment whereby yeah. it's recruitment to be as yeah. good as Chelsea or Man United or Liverpool because yeah. I think they are they are clubs that we should accept. We might not reach their level, but if we can keep competing with them and if we can keep being in the same sort of ballpark yeah. and if we can get in that top half of the table and we're Crystal Palace Football Club, I think that's a great pat on the back for the club. You said something before about um, that you've not been one of those uh, people who demands players. You get given a group of players and you actually... That, that's your upbringing, I would say, in your earlier coaching career because a lot of the English managers of the 80s and sort of maybe early 90s, they were deemed to be in control of everything, weren't they? The yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But you've come through a completely different yeah. way. You're more of a coach yeah. on the grass that lets the other people get on with the recruitment side of it. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously... As the sort of head coach or yeah. manager, whatever you like to call the, the, the head person responsible for team's performance, you want to have a, quite a big say in, in that yeah. side of things. And to be fair, the, a coach's life, to some extent, is always going to be a transient one. Yeah. So these people, if they're putting all their eggs into your basket and saying, now, there's £100 million of my money and you just bring the players you want, they don't know you're going to be there for five yeah. years to see those players through to fruition. You might get a better offer. So off you go, yeah. and then they're stuck with them. And yeah. So I think I've always understood that aspect of it. You were used to that in Italy, weren't you, as well? Yeah, so in, other, in other countries, it's actually yeah, something yeah. that you're completely used to. It's only just yes. coming in England in the last probably... I would say five to ten years. I'd say a bit longer than that. Yeah. But uh, you're absolutely right. There's, Italy gave me that, of course. You know, it's very difficult to persuade them to sign the players you wanted, <laughs> that's for sure. So there weren't many players that came to Inter that I was 100% the man who bought them in. <laughs> but uh, luckily, a few good ones came in during that time and we were able to survive with the ones that I found I had to work with. Yeah. What's the one thing that you say that you've had to instill here that you thought, right, I've got to fix that, I've got to get that right. I'm not sorry to leave that behind, if I'm to be brutally honest. I find that more demanding and more tiring than the football. You're 75 now, 76 this year. In a couple of months, yeah. 
how long is this going to go on for this this coaching dream that's existed now you've, you've yeah. been coaching badges first when you were 23 didn't you yeah that's right so that's how long i don't know it's a dream <laughs> anymore anyway i think i think i think <laughs> it's, it's, a it's not a nightmare either no it's um yeah i've even been said to me actually i enjoy it monday to friday it's just a game day yeah that's somebody. right yeah that's the, that's the old classic that one you know? <laughs> it wasn't because i was desperately sitting at home thinking oh god i I've got to get back. So I can honestly say that. Yeah. But I can also honestly say that both at Watford and here, I enjoyed coming back. I yeah. enjoyed going out and putting a tracksuit on again and you know, getting out with the players, even though my ability to kick the ball seems to have degenerated enormously over the last five years. <laughs> do you have someone kicking it next to you now? I just Basically, just you know, I, I, yeah, occasionally, but not like I used to. <laughs> you'd, you'd have seen a better, a better kicking side than, than the people see now. You do what, 80% of all the sessions? I mean, you might not do the possession in the very beginning of the session, but all the tactical and the pattern work, you've always done that all the way through your career. You've always yeah. been a coach, haven't you? You've always oh, been yeah. hands-on. I'm a much better delegator than I once was. I mean, in the beginning, you know, and what's more in the, if I look back to my very early career, I, I was far too active myself. I enjoyed playing football and, you know, kicking the ball too much myself. I'd yeah. be taking things away from the players really yeah. I, I, I lost track that it's the players that count not me <laughs> but um, I'm very lucky here to and have been for a number of years to have Ray with me who's, who's very good and yeah. of course sings absolutely off the same hymn sheet yeah. and now we had David Reddington and now who was at the club and yeah. we, we moved up and now it's, it's, it's Paddy McCarthy yeah. also very good coaches so I'm not, not averse these days to yeah. have them chipping in as well so it's more than one voice yeah. I find that very useful What's the one thing that you say that you've had to instill that you saw in the early days or early couple of weeks here that you thought, right, I've got to fix that, I've got to get that right? Anything not, not a lot really, Guy, to be honest. I mean, it, it would be, I think that the way we like to defend and, and what we, we like our midfield players, especially all our front, front players, if you're going to play with a three, the way we like them to defend, that wasn't necessarily what they'd been asked to do before, so we had to yeah. try and persuade them that this is what we would like you to do now. Are you still making the out that the, the wingers play the ball in? You, you never used to like the ball. No, no, I mean... You never used to like the ball. It's interesting, I just, it's a tactical thing, but Roy never used to like the wide play. If the fullback was on the ball, they never used to like the wide, the, the fullback playing the ball outside. You always wanted them to play in Yeah, there. absolutely. Although it's, it's harder and harder to, I mean, in an ideal world, we do talk about angles of approach and in an ideal world for your fullback, but the, because we, we, we play relatively narrow, we're more... You know, our concern always is where the goals are scored is in that sort of central area. And more and more, the good teams, they, they cut you apart. They, they use the wide players to drag you apart to open those gaps through the centre. Yeah. So we've, we've identified that's the area we've got to be really strong in. But you can't be strong everywhere. So if you're going to be strong there, you're going to accept that the wider ones yeah. maybe have a bit more time on the ball or get more chance to get the ball. So the player who's going out there will find it quite hard a lot of the time to get that angle. Yeah. If, if it's coming straight down the line, yeah. then I think that one of the balls which concerns everyone in football today when you're defending is that, is that ball for the, which goes like a straight ball past you and then a run comes in between you and the centre-back. Yeah. I mean, so many teams are very good at doing that. So Where the wide player runs inside yeah, the fullback. Yeah, and sometimes it's an underlapping fullback, is yeah. it? it can be a, a midfield player or a centre forward. Anyone can get in and yeah. do it. And in an ideal world, you would probably try and stop that by yeah. 
getting in line with the straight ball yeah. so it can't go there for that run yeah. and make them go back inside. So I would still definitely embrace that principle. Yeah. But it's getting harder and harder in a lot of games. So um, we try to make certain that we, we, we cover yeah. the spaces where that run will be because we know that quite often our players going out to pressurise the ball aren't going to be able to angle their runs to get in that position. Yeah. You've seen football now over five decades and you've seen it over three decades in the Premier League. I only finished, I think, 11 years ago. It, I, I'm stunned by the technical ability of the current players aligned with the speed and physicality. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been as good no, as in the technical ability of the players with the speed that they actually do. Yeah, it. No. Do you agree with that? You've seen it over the game over 30 could, years. Could, couldn't agree more. And of course, it's partly due to the fact that you know, we now, with the money that is in the Premier League and the, the great job that Scooter Moore did really, and, and I must take my hat off to the clubs as well, to have such a, such a fair league where the money is distributed as, as fairly, it's not just two clubs taking the lot, and, yeah. and that's given us a very competitive and, and fair league as well. But what it's meant is from number one to number 20, all the teams can go out and, 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 and what's more, they, they can recruit. On a personal level, I always remember Sir Alex saying, I think, maybe towards the end when I was there, that being around young people kept him young. Yes. Is there an element of that with oh, yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's real fun to be around. I just think you have to be careful that you don't try to become one of them. You know, you don't try yeah. to, to, you know, <laughs> start discussing music or films or books. Or How's that going, your music choices aligned with uh, the last yeah. dressing room? <laughs> yeah, I don't listen to it very often. I don't think they were like... There's one or, two, one or two they play that uh, I, I rather like, so I don't mind listening to, but but that that's, that was always the case anyway. And I just think that most of our discussions revolve around football, but it is nice to, to see them. And I think that they do give you some energy. Yeah. You know, I think, I think just being in the job energizes yeah. you. There's no doubt I've felt energized these last two months or so, more so than perhaps I was when yeah. my life was more mundane in terms of going down the gym, going for walks, finding a nice restaurant for lunch or dinner. And that was good too. I don't know what complain about like that. Life. Just, to, just in case she was watching this, I'll better make that clear. I was happy, I was happy with that really, as well. really but. sorry that you didn't enjoy that time as well. <laughs> but I've been energised, I've got to say. And it's, it's been good in the sense that it's been like it should be, like it's basically been all of my life. When I got up in the morning, there's been moments, of course, like for everybody else, but largely I've looked forward to going to the Cup. I've looked forward to meeting the people I'm yeah. going to see there. I've looked forward to meeting the players. Because I think as, as, a, as a coach, and if you're talking about young coaches who, who might watch this, I think that having sympathy and empathy with your players is, is yeah. vitally important. Once you start moving away from that, and you start getting angry with them or disliking them because they're not doing exactly what you think they should do, that's when your chance of really coaching them starts to diminish. I mean, I struggled with that, Roy, to be fair. I think we talked about this quite a bit when I was with England. Do you think that's why quite a few players who have maybe been maybe played at the elite yeah, level oh, absolutely. struggle when they go into coaching? Absolutely, I do entirely. Because the generation of players or the people he found at the club were not going to reach that level of professionalism. I think if you've not had that level yourself, you can be probably a bit kinder anyway. A better teacher. Yeah, probably. Because coaching is communication. And to do that, you do need a degree of empathy with the people you're working with. And in, an, in an ideal world, the coach will come off after defeat 
not angry at a player for having made a mistake, but to some extent sympathising with the player for unfortunately having made a mistake which he didn't want to do and you, the team, didn't want, but it's happened. Now, I'm speaking very... That's a good quality to have to be able to do It that. is, but no, and I don't think many people have got it and I don't know I've got it, but I mean, that's the ideal situation. That's what you should be aiming for. But you've been able to adapt over five different decades of coaching through changing times, Technologies come in, sports science has come in, mm. players have changed, more international players, more technical players, and you've had to adapt, and you have adapted. Yeah, I think I'm quite proud of that, um, because I'm quite proud of the fact that my career has lasted so long, and I suppose I'm proud too, that at my age, where people could quite easily have said, well, his time's gone, but being proud of things and being proud of careers, it doesn't, doesn't, make, it doesn't help you a great deal. Football, and you know this every bit as much as I do, it's the next one. It's, yeah. you know, when you're working, you're always thinking, well, how do I prepare the next game? We've done the right yeah. training sessions. Am I picking the right team? And that's, that's the life that you choose to keep going that way. And if you choose to keep going that way, you've got to be able to adapt. Do you buy into the theory that you've got to be a little bit mad to be a manager? <laughs> no, not really, no, no. <laughs> you have no. got to be I mean, to want this. I mean, the, you know, the interviews, do you enjoy the interviews after the game? And, well, uh, to, to be fair, I'd be quite lucky there. I mean, at Fulham and here at Palace and even at Watford, you know, you're not dealing with the, the real cutthroat journalists who want to try and reduce you to tears. <laughs> too, so, so I've got to say that I, I, don't, I don't put myself out for that. And I've, I've been really... Well, you did do treated. with England and with, yeah, Liverpool, and with yeah. Liverpool and with Inter yeah, They yeah. were huge. They were, huge yeah, jobs. yeah, yeah. And I'm not sorry to leave that behind, if I'm to be brutally honest, because that, that is a part of the job which... I find that more demanding and more intellectually tiring than the football. The football doesn't tire me, yeah. but sometimes preparing for those interviews and being ready for the right questions and choosing the, every single word correctly and making certain you didn't say something that was going to, you know, rebound yeah. upon you. And in particular with England, it was more a question of feeling all the time that the journalists, through their various contacts, knew more than us. So, you know, you, you got the question and you think, well, hold on, I don't know if I know the answer, but you probably do, you know. So, so no, I don't miss that side of it. And the mass media have been kind to me, basically speaking, so I've got literally no complaints about that. Great to speak to you. Thank you, no, Roy. Too, Thank you so much. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.